This episode of the WAN Manager Podcast is brought to you by the WAN Summit. The WAN Summit brings together buyers and providers of enterprise WAN services to identify and discuss trends in international network planning, procurement, and design. The WAN Summits cover all of the challenges, trends, and toolkits a WAN manager needs to do their job. And they're built around learning and networking. You can expect enterprise-only sessions, focused discussion groups, and no-pressure consultations between network managers and solution providers. And you're in luck. There are two WAN summits on the horizon. You can join us in Dusseldorf on May 10th or in New York City on June 21st. Head to wansummit.com for more information. Welcome to the WAN Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, as always, and this is the show where we talk to networking experts about the data services that make business possible. So uh, as we're recording this, we're just almost exactly two years on from when the whole world shut down. Uh, most WAN managers at that time were scrambling to accommodate massive changes uh, like remote work, different traffic patterns, um, you know, gateways at uh, data centers and whatnot. Our guest this episode, however, is in the healthcare industry as a network manager, where in addition to all of those changes, the business needs themselves actually really changed. And uh, and so had to do all of those other accommodations, but also shift to accommodate um, those other disruptions. So for that, I'm really excited to have on the show uh, this case study from Carl Flaherty, who's at uh, Mainline Health in Pennsylvania and is the manager of network services there. Welcome, Carl. Yeah, good afternoon, Greg. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's, it's we've been trying to work this out for like, you know, uh, uh, several months now. So I'm glad we, we finally got it together. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this one. Yeah, we squeezed it in between variants, I guess you could say. <laughs> That's exactly. Or it's, it's pretty much, and that, that cues us up well for what we're going to talk about, right? So, right. Um, so before we do- jump into the case study, uh, Carl, can you just give us a brief background on yourself, uh, how you ended up at your current role? Sure. So I, I've been in the, uh, the IT field for you know, 30 plus years. I did start my career uh, in the for-profit healthcare industry uh, mm-hmm. and was with a company for 20 plus years in that space and then kind of branched out and got into the private sector a little bit in financial services. And uh, my career kind of came full circle and I had an opportunity to get back to healthcare IT, which is something that I had grown an affinity for in the beginning part of my career. Uh, and uh, really wanted to get back to it when I joined uh, Mainline Health. And uh, as of two weeks ago, it was actually three years. Uh, okay, so I, gotcha. I was all fortunate right. enough to join before the pandemic. I was going to say, you're and, still pretty new when this all went down, too. So it, that's, that's something, yeah, yeah, relatively, yeah. relatively speaking. So, uh, yeah, it's been quite the, uh, the couple of years, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, like I like I mentioned in the beginning, um, uh, you're in uh, Philadelphia area. I, I should say, you know, it took me an embarrassingly long time. My wife is from Southeast Pennsylvania and lived in Philly for a while, and it took me the longest time to connect, like the main line, as in the you know the the sort of Tony suburbs of Philadelphia. With that's that's what the name of your company is, right? Yeah. So yeah. Tell us about Mainline Health. Yeah. Yeah. So primarily, uh, Mainline Health is a regional healthcare provider. Uh, we're a nonprofit organization. 
serving Philadelphia and the surrounding uh, suburban areas. Uh, we're pretty much comprised of our uh, main, what will, or will be known by our main tier one hospitals, uh, those being uh, Lankanaw, Riddle, Paoli, Bryn Mawr, and Bryn Mawr Rehab. Uh, those are kind of the cornerstones of the industry. And then we also have our tier two locations, which are comprised of uh, urgent care centers, uh, as well as our support organizations, our IT office, our HR uh, and accounting offices, our administrative offices. And then we have, uh, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, 70 to 80 practices that are affiliated with mainline health that we uh, have connectivity with as well that kind of makes up the entire mainline health family. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so that's, uh, I'm certainly no expert in this area, but it seems like a pretty similar setup as, as you would find in a lot of kind of regional hospital centers uh, throughout the U.S. in different cities, basically. It, it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just that, uh, you know, we have the we have the leverage for certain things that we're doing to be regional uh, so that our, you know, our reach uh, doesn't have to be as broad as some other companies which right. have national scale uh, to deal with. So uh, we're able to maybe move a little bit more quickly and, and uh, touch and feel a little bit more directly because uh, at any given moment in time, we can be uh, at one of our facilities. Right, right, right. Which is which is sort of key to to how this case study plays out in in some ways, right? So, it is. Yeah. Uh, so so on that note, you you mentioned you had been there only about a year before uh, the the COVID uh, shutdowns struck. What what was? It's always useful when we do one of these case studies um, to to get the kind of the picture of you know what did the network look like when you joined. Um, you know, what kind of uh, services we're using? What was the general setup um, before we get into, you know, what happened after? Sure. Yeah. Well, interesting to note, uh, yeah, I joined Mainline Health at the uh, outset uh, of a major multi-year network infrastructure uh, refresh project, mm-hmm. uh, which primarily I think begot the fact that they were looking to bring someone in uh, that had some of my skill set in order gotcha. to uh, lead what was going to be going on. Uh, we had a, an aging infrastructure architecture, uh, probably not something that's all that uncommon to hear, particularly in the nonprofit segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of that ride it until it dies mentality. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were at the point of, uh, of dying, uh, yeah. not, to, not to use. <laughs> so so you were brought in to bring new life to CPR. Right? <laughs> well, at least to oversee yeah. the, uh, at least to oversee, uh, the surgery, if you will. Right. So, right. Uh, and, uh, we were moving from uh, an Avaya switch route environment and now implementing uh, an entirely Cisco switch route uh, network infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have two uh, hosted data center locations. We're at uh, SunGuard and also at TierPoint, uh, also you know regional hosting providers. Uh, that environment was a, a bit more progressed in terms of the equipment that was running there. Uh, we were really talking about refreshing uh, our core and access layer at our facilities. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're we're well into it now. You know, two and a half years into it, the project will be elongated, uh, probably about mm, somewhere in the neighborhood of six to eight months. And that was due to just mm-hmm. slowdowns during the pandemic. And right. the slowdowns were caused by a number of reasons. Right, we had to pivot resources in order to address needs of the organization, uh, and we also uh, started to uh, on the back end hit some of the supply chain issues mm-hmm. that were impacting all of the suppliers. Luckily, we had a large amount of gear that had already been procured uh, and was right. being prepped by our uh, networking partner 
uh, for deployment. So we still had a little bit of a leg up to where we continued uh, the project, albeit at a little bit more of a staggered pace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, that that's hitting everywhere. You, uh, I've been covering, uh, you know, telecom services pricing for, for 15 plus years, and we've we've only ever seen prices go down, but they're actually maybe even increasing in some cases these days uh, for, for various services because of these things that, that the supply chains have been cut down and equipment upgrades are, are so much harder to do. And that's what's long-term been driving all of that is that you can always put more bits through the same infrastructure and whatnot. And, and that is, uh, it is, is having its impact all the way down to, you know, by, you know, the, the wholesale submarine cable kind of market even. So, yeah. Yeah. Not a day goes by where I, I don't think I'm getting a, uh, an email or a reminder that, uh, something that we might be considering. If you have any uh, anything out to any of your vendor partners for quoting, uh, I'm being reminded constantly that, oh, so-and-so's prices are going to be increasing at the mm -hmm. end of this month, the end of next month. Right. Uh, we're, on a, we're on a fiscal year uh, that runs from July to July. So a little bit different for me to get used to as well. I was used to mm -hmm. operating under a just a standard calendar, calendar fiscal year. Yeah. Uh, so that's been a little bit of a challenge, but yeah, uh, I'm sure that we're going to be feeling, you know, the ripple effects, but uh, we've been proceeding uh, and also being regional, as I had mentioned, you know, we were leveraging mm -hmm. when I joined the organization, we were leveraging a, a regional dark fiber environment that was provided by a regional provider uh, by the name mm -hmm. of Crown Castle. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in looking at those services, uh, we decided that we were going to transition from dark to lit services. Uh, and something that fell a little bit under their more of their managed services model. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's something that we've done uh, as well. Uh, and we were able to bring a, a little bit more of stability, uh, diversity and redundancy uh, to the entire environment uh, in doing so. Mm -hmm. Just just a uh, curious question for me on that um, uh, would be, with that transition between dark and lit services, what's the thinking there? Do you, do you reduce some kind of overhead even on the infra infrastructure team by not having to kind of manage those links yourselves? Like, I, I wish I could say, I yeah. wish I could yeah. say that we did, but that was mm -hmm. not the case. I, I, I did not have. It wasn't as if I was overstaffed or had a team of uh, ONS engineers uh, at my mm -hmm. disposal who were overseeing the dark fiber environment. Uh, but really, uh, it was uh, to get. Um, we needed the assistance of having some vendor touch and feel uh, to mm. respond to changes within our environment. Uh, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and that was really one of the motivating factors for moving right. uh, to those services with, uh, mm -hmm. with Crown. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right, so I, I, I want to kind of dive into the, the way that I set this up, the, the situation you know, coming up here uh, almost exactly two years ago, more or less. Um, when, you know, in response to, to what was going on in the world, Mainline Health decides to set up uh, pop-up COVID sites. I still see pop-up COVID sites around uh, these days. So um, uh, uh, what, what did the sort of, the, you know, the, the administrators of, of the hospital system come to you as the, the IT infrastructure team and ask for? And, and how did you end up uh, sort of addressing that problem? Yeah, it's... Um... I'd like, I'd love to tell you that this was, um, you know, a, a lot of, um, high end deliberative conversations yeah, that went it's, on, but it's scramble. Uh, and what are we doing? Heads on fire. Right? Yeah, it, yeah. But uh, uh, quite literally, uh, it was, uh, you know, some of the first conversations were between myself, 
the director of technology, uh, who I report up through, and the system director of technology, along with our chief uh, information, chief medical information officer, sitting in a mm-hmm. conference room, socially distanced and masked, of course, at yeah. that particular time, uh, talking. And basically, the conversation kind of went something like, "I." really don't know everything we're going to need to do, but we're going to need to do something. So mm-hmm. uh, like like everyone, we were, it was kind of prepare for the worst and, and hope right. for the best. Uh, we, at the outset of the pandemic, like a lot of healthcare organizations, uh, we knew that there was going to be a tremendous influx and a strain put on uh, the, not only the facility itself to handle people coming into our uh, EDs and our departments, Uh, but also on the clinical staff. So anything that we could do to reduce the stress of uh, the frontline workers was something that uh, was Mm -hmm. also first and foremost. Mm -hmm. We expected that we were going to need to be external to the building because that just seemed to be, I don't, I can't say that we were maybe leading the charge uh, there. I I, I don't know if it was Mm -hmm. more or less just a, a generalization within the healthcare industry at large, but yes, you you immediately saw on the news uh, long and winding paths of, of cars that were snaking through parking lots and pulling up into yep. tents. Uh, so our facilities and our security program were securing uh, the areas. They were securing the tents. Uh, we were then securing uh, exterior grade network equipment, uh, external access points, uh, and uh, preparing for extending the network outside of the building. Right. Uh, and doing so in a in a safe manner uh, for the people that were going to be working in there, but also just needing to kind of stay one step ahead about what we thought the needs were going to be. So we established the uh, the testing uh, external to the facilities uh, at a mm-hmm. couple of our locations, and we were doing that. And then it naturally progressed. Well, what's next? Because if you remember when we first, this is long before vaccine ever right. entered the you know, the conversation, we were still just in the testing Mm -hmm. phase. Uh, And uh, that was the conversations then tended towards, well, well, what is next? What what do we think is going to be next? So uh, we were acquiring some technology based on just conversations that we had of what we thought we were going to need to do. And that what that took into consideration, are we even going to outgrow uh, the, the boundaries of the walls of our facilities? What if we need to set something up in the middle of nowhere? Right. Um, and for us, the middle of nowhere could be property that Mainline Health owned, had yet to develop, but that we might need to in some way, shape or form press into service. Right. And this obviously would be a location where we currently had no network connectivity. Right. There's no infrastructure at no all. No infrastructure yeah. at all. Uh, mm-hmm. And certainly the expectation of, expediting an order through a carrier was, uh, you know, right. yeah, yes. it's like, yeah, the end of the line yeah. is after that gentleman way back there, right. In terms of being able to expedite things. So, you know, we got turned on to, uh, a technology that others were already using. And, and I had first seen probably in one of my early, uh, WAN summits. Uh, and that was just basically, if it wasn't satellite, it was now we were talking about LTE, like fixed wireless, uh, basically. you know, fixed wireless mm-hmm. and or LTE cellular services to provide mm-hmm. connectivity. And, okay. Uh, so some, some like, you know, based on mobile handset kind of hotspot as well. Like, correct. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more somewhere, you know, somewhere beyond just your, um, consumer your grade. consumer yeah. grade hotspot mm-hmm. and, uh, and a full fledged network. So 
uh, we had gotten uh, involved with a, a a company called Cradle Point, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we had we decided that we were going to act quickly and acquire some of the technology based on just the conversations we had and the fact that it looked like it was going to fit the bill uh, for what we needed to do. So we acquired uh, some uh, some product lines that they were partnering on, which was called a mobile command center, mm-hmm. uh, Pelican case kind of throw it in a trunk, be able to drive it somewhere and set up a network. Uh, and then we also acquired uh, just some of the uh, LTE wireless routers uh, from uh, the organization. We turned up some right. SIMs. Uh, you know, we are a customer of both Verizon and AT&T. Mm-hmm. And on AT&T, you also have the FirstNet program. So we were able to get uh, SIMs that were registered under FirstNet, which gives uh, a little bit more uh, preference to uh, first uh. response. Yeah, right? yeah, that this makes is sense. The first yeah. responder network, uh, so give you a little bit elevated over uh, the, the the general consumer public. Kind of like a, a elevated class of service, basically. Correct. Based on the, correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, we we had a, we brought that equipment in. We did some testing, um, and but and then it kind of just it got put on the shelf uh, mm-hmm. because if you recall how this went, you know, we we then started to see. Uh, some flattening of the curve. Finally, it wasn't two weeks, mm-hmm. but um, right. as initially forecast, but uh, we weren't quite sure that we were going to need it just yet. So we, we kind of fell back into what we were doing uh, and just making sure that our frontline workers were being serviced. And then, right. then the vaccine came. Mm-hmm. So the next pivot was, all right, just like we tested these folks, we now have to vaccinate these right. folks. Distribution. So Mm-hmm. We're kind of back into the soup of how are we going to do this uh, and are we going to follow a similar model? And to start, we followed a very similar model to what we had done with testing, uh, and that's how we proceeded with the initial vaccinations. Uh, but Mainline Health being a very uh, uh, customer-oriented, customer-focused, patient-focused organization that we are, mm-hmm. and and with the somewhat varied adoption rates of vaccination, particularly by uh, people of color mm-hmm. uh, and, and people that were in our underserved community, Mainline wanted to make sure that everything was being done in order to bring the vaccination to those areas. So right. we so, partnered. To remove any barriers to entry and make it as, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah. I mean, it was basically, you know, the, the common commonality was, you know, get the, you know, get the needle sticks in as many arms as we can. Uh, and what do we need to do to do that? So it presented the next set of challenges, uh, which was how do we get out into the community? So our, our administration and our leadership were very active uh, with the local community. Uh, and it, it seemed that the way to reach the community, uh, if it's not through their stomach, uh, it's <laughs> through their faith. So through faith-based organizations, uh, we did outreach uh, to the local faith leaders in the area. Mm -hmm. And uh, we decided that what we were going to do is we were going to bring the vaccination to those locations. Right. And uh, that, that we were going to then need to set up connectivity securely uh, at these locations. Mm -hmm. So kind of enter back in uh, that earlier testing that we had done the many months before. And we finally were able to then deploy that cellular LTE technology uh, to create a, sc- a secure VPN back to our data centers, 
Uh, we set up some uh, a, uh, an access point uh, as well at these locations to enhance the Wi-Fi connectivity uh, in the area for mm-hmm. our clinicians. And basically, our clinicians operated as if they were sitting in one of our buildings. They were right. able to securely uh, multi-factor authenticate onto the network. They were able to access our uh, electronic medical record, our EMR, which is EPIC. Mm-hmm. Uh, and therefore, we were then able to um, you know, track everything that was being done uh, within these community-based uh, vaccination centers. And we pretty much got into a cadence of um, setting up a location, doing a vaccination, uh, and then moving on. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after three to four weeks, we would then come back to that initial location because now it was time for the second dose. Right, right. So it was yeah. kind of that, uh, you know, wash, rinse, repeat. Uh, as we went out into the community, we were kind of one, you know, a one week ahead of each thing. We were mm-hmm. one week we were in uh, a location in Aston. Another week we were in a location on the main line. Another week we were in a location uh, somewhere in Southwest Philadelphia. And it was just this rolling cascading thing of going there, setting up, breaking down, going to the next place, and then eventually coming back around and doing the same. And the technology really was, it treated us well. It was very easy uh, to deploy. Once we had our, uh, our configuration set, uh, we were able to deploy it quickly. Our field services organization was able to uh, get out there and kind of be first in at these locations. Uh, And, you know, to, to the, the, as you know, from the networking side, right, the best praise that you can get is the sound of silence. That's people, right. No, no complaints. Yeah, when, people, yeah. when people are able yeah. to do their job, um, mm-hmm. you know, that is your uh, that is your silent applause for uh, providing what they needed to do. Yeah, it's, it's funny you should say that because while you were saying that, I was thinking like, oh, this is a, the case where everyone assumes the network can just be wherever they need it to be. But of course, in the background, that's an, in, an incredible challenge. And, and here's a case where, you know, uh, uh, those of us interested in, in this, you know, sort of area of the economy get to say, hey, we, we you know, th- this facilitated something that, that you know, was making a big public health difference. And, and you couldn't, you couldn't do this without network. You couldn't just go, you know, put shots in arms without, without, you know, recording that and, and having the records all updated in real time and whatnot. Right. So it's like, um, being a, being a part of, of kind of, uh, this, uh, global sort of effort. Um, uh, we, we, we sometimes lose sight of that, right. On the, the IT side of things, you know? Yeah, it was, um, it was kind of that moment. If you've ever had the experience of trying to explain to family or friends, um, you know, what is it that you do, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think we all default to that, uh, you know, well, he's an IT. He does right. the IT. He does that computer stuff. Right. Um, you know, I was to the point of we were watching, a, uh, we were watching one of the news channels during uh, one of the events, and the news coverage happened to be at one of the locations we had set up for, mm-hmm. and about... Uh, for about five seconds uh, within the piece, which was probably about a two-minute piece, uh, there was the uh, there was the wireless router there you go. <laughs> that came in frame yeah. behind, only because there were two individuals. There was somebody uh, registering, and mm-hmm. behind the intake registrar was where we had set up the gear. 
So right. I was able to actually rewind and pause and point say, it out. <laughs> say, see that box? That's what I do, right? Yeah, so there you go. Um, you know, for all of the other glitz and glamour, it was just the box with the blinking lights. I make lights. sure all the lights are blinking the right color. That's the right yeah. color. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes, you'll notice Absolutely. there's a lot of greens and yellows, and yeah. Um, so yeah, but it was a and it was a very um, very also a very humbling experience because I, you know at the, at the outset we we didn't know. I mean, this was this was all kind of tested in a vacuum, tested in a lab, right? We mm-hmm. set it up in our, we set it up in one of our uh, classrooms. We had people come in uh, and try and beat it up and see how many people we could support on the technology uh, and how it would work. But um, it really was a kind of push it down the runway and, and hope that it right. was going to get airborne. Uh, and, and then getting out of the community and talking to uh, the folks where we were going to be coming into their facility uh, and mm-hmm. doing this. So just, you know, number one, how grateful and how impactful it was uh, for us to be coming to them. Mm-hmm. So you really were kind of extra motivated to want to succeed. Right, right, right. Absolutely. Uh, because you, it really, it really kind of brought it home that, you know, that we were making a difference. My, my team, uh, as many, I think, engineering teams on the IT side, don't often really get to experience the fruits of the labor, but mm-hmm. I was able to bring back that to my team directly that this is what our work means uh, right. within the community to these people directly. And, uh, you know, that, 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 that's not something that we take lightly and it's not something that comes along all that often. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, just to, to, to wrap that sort of, uh, section up, I'm curious, you know, ha- having, uh, roll this out, establish a relationship with Cradle Point and all that. Uh, is that something that you think you might now be able to kind of use and, and feed back to the hospital administrators that, hey, now we have these mobile capabilities. We can do new and creative things beyond the, the reacting to COVID. Yeah. <laughs> um, so with great success comes great responsibility. That's and, right. I mean, right. So yeah. uh, it, it was it was the poster child for, oh, we can do that. Uh, right, yeah, right. we, we certainly, uh, we certainly opened eyes, ears, uh, and pocketbooks, uh, in terms of what it was that we were doing and why we were doing what we were doing. And just a, you know, just a, a shameless non-plug that, you know, deploying this technology was not what I would consider to be burdensome from a cost perspective. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it took some work, but from a costing perspective, we weren't talking uh, a large amount of, uh, of outlay, uh, right. which certainly administration like. Uh, so for anybody that's thinking about, you know, positioning this stuff, it, it, it is definitely worthwhile looking at it from that perspective. And without a doubt, you know, the floodgates, um, they didn't immediately open, but they started mm-hmm. to, to show, uh, you know, where there were other opportunities for this technology. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've had a couple of instances. We, we, had a, uh, we had a major, we had a pipe burst uh, at one of our facilities uh, that happened to be over uh, the data closet that was servicing the emergency. Of, of course, as they always are. It right? always, <laughs> it always is. Yeah. Um, took out a, uh, you know, it took out two stacks, probably a total of 12 stitch uh, switches wow. in the data closet mm-hmm. uh, that impacted the ED area. We basically were able to stand up the cradle point device and mimic mm-hmm. our network over LTE mm-hmm. and provide wireless connectivity so that the clinical staff could get what they call their WALs or 
workstations on wheels. So mm-hmm. anyone in healthcare will recognize the term uh, and get those back online quickly so that the ED could return to some semblance right. uh, of normality in terms of servicing customers. We mm-hmm. also then, uh, we had a situation where we had a fire at one of our uh, facilities, uh, a small fire. As fires are never fun no matter where they happen yeah, to be. Yeah. Um, particularly when they emanate from a, uh, a, a patient room who was on oxygen, who decided that um, the cigarette was going to be oh, more important. <laughs> uh, then, and, and, uh, and, yeah. and that created a situation where once again, uh, we needed to supplement the network. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also just had other opportunities within our organization where different parts of the organization wanted to host um, certain events Ah. Uh, that were on campus, but off net. Right. Um, right, right. And we were in the garden to, or whatever. In the yeah, garden, yeah, right. Yeah. In the, yeah. the, one of them was an arbitorium that we have mm-hmm. at like kind of near one of our facilities and they wanted to have a gathering there. Uh, so we were able to just continue to leverage this technology mm-hmm. in those instances. And, and once the word gets out that you can do it. Right. Uh, you know, you're, you're kind of called to perform uh, those in those situations more frequently. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, which kind of cues me up for for where I wanted to go next, which is um, the the change in the way that uh, knowledge workers around the world uh, do their work now. You know, everyone is is familiar with that change. It it is it's not you know sort of ever returning. Um, for for some of us out there, you know, uh, even data intensive jobs like maybe a market analyst, it's not it's it's not that big of a deal. I, I I'm fine on my. Uh, you know, MacBook on on my, uh, you know, residential broadband connection uh, for really data intensive medical staff. Um, I'm guessing that it was more complicated to, to get them home. Can you take us through that shift for, sure. uh, you know, physicians who who have, you know, really data and bandwidth hungry kind of um, uh, uh, to, uh, workstations uh, in, in the facilities? How did you get them uh, to be uh, working remotely? Yeah, so the last time we spoke, I was mentioning that, you know, we, the, the first, the, the need that came to us was, uh, from our radiology group. So mm, we, exactly. Yeah. We partner with a radiologist, uh, a radiology group. Um, and, uh, two things. One thing was, uh, this is something that the radiologist group had been asking for pre pandemic was kind mm. of the ability mm-hmm. to work anywhere, meaning working remotely. Right. Uh, and, and what that meant was, you know, extremely expensive gear uh, in, in terms of the workstation and the monitor. The monitors themselves are, you know, I mean, we're talking tens of thousands of dollars for uh, medical grade monitors in order mm-hmm. to read diagnostic imaging at that right. level. They're looking this for a little speck on someone's yeah, lungs or whatever. Right. This, yeah, isn't, yeah, yeah. this isn't pulling out mm-hmm. your iPhone and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. making a movie as we all see on the commercials today. Uh, and a little bit more on the line. Um, this got expedited because what happened during the pandemic, and this is just one of those things again, right? Just because you're in a hospital environment didn't bring you, uh, it brought you closer to the virus, right? right. If anything, right? And w- the radiologist group is, a, is a, in the hospital, is in an area that those individuals are working together closely a lot. Mm-hmm. What happened was, the virus basically almost crippled one of our radiology reading groups because mm. someone tested positive 
mm-hmm. which immediately then meant that anyone that was in that area or was came in it's contact with that individual had to be quarantined. Right. And we immediately had an issue with who's going to read these films. So it yeah. kind of pressed the issue of we, we, we need to get this going. And the problem for so long was, is that, as you mentioned, um, the initial thing of just sending a radiologist home uh, with a, with a laptop right. um, and connecting up as our typical end user using a, uh, a VPN client um, just wasn't going to cut it. Uh, right. So we had begun uh, playing around with a uh, SD-WAN service offering from Comcast because we already had services with Comcast being a regional provider uh, in the area of their ENS or Ethernet network services. Uh, right. So they were they had partnered with uh, Versa uh, in terms of delivering uh, SD-WAN technology, and we had begun to play around with it. So we said, okay, no time like the present. So mm-hmm. we tested the scenario out. It worked very well uh, with our test group. Uh, and we then decided that we were going to roll this out to uh, the radiologist. So we were going to deliver SD-WAN uh, technology directly to the radiologist's home, uh, along with a workstation and a setup to allow them uh, to basically be able to perform their duties at home. Now, is this and a then, physical SD-WAN device? Is it software? Is it... It's So a combination of both. There is mm-hmm. what, uh, what Comcast deems a, uh, a UCPE. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and uh, just an end user uh, CPE right. uh, and uh, white label uh, as Comcast from Versa on the underlay. Right. But the thing that was uh, very appealing about this technology as well, as with many of the offerings in the space, is that it was it was an overlay, meaning right. uh, there was no requirement that the individual had Comcast as their ISP mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that there's also, we, we've run this uh, with you know, with bandwidths as low as uh, 100 down, 25 up. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So uh, it, it takes all of the, uh, of the acceleration uh, and, and that type of data intensive work, it takes it off of the end workstation, which would typically mm-hmm. be your laptop, right? Like right now, my laptop's working overtime, right? Uh, mm-hmm. be, you know, running, everything that it needs to run in the background in order to, to provide the connection. But you and I are just having a conversation. Uh, so it, it works. But uh, at that level, it takes all of that processing off of the workstation, uh, does it at the CPE level. Uh, mm-hmm. And once again, you know, we're creating uh, secure connections uh, for these individuals back to our data centers for them to access what they need to access. Right. Uh, and uh, it was another just another big win uh, because it was something that they had asked for for a while. Uh, it was just never got prioritized. Right. Never waste a good pandemic uh, right. in, in order yeah. to motivate you uh, to do something. And, you know, so far we, we went from, you know, that initial three or four docs that did our POC for us. Uh, mm-hmm. I think today we turned up probably somewhere in the neighborhood of our 51st wow. uh, doc Uh so it's pretty the, standard with, with within the organization now to have this it, set up for those. It, yeah. it has become that. And and I'm just waiting for the next email for the next challenge right? Uh, yeah. as to what that's going to be as well. What, one quick follow-up on that. Um, it, it, we're dealing with a residential broadband connection. Like you said, it doesn't have to be Comcast Xfinity. It could be, they might have Fios or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, do, do they need two lines though? Are you connecting like an LTE to that or is this uh, not? We, uh, you know? Yeah. I mean, a good question. Um, 
To date, no. We, mm-hmm. we started out under the premise that if, if we were going to require the docs to bring in a second ISP service specifically for this, we mm-hmm. kind of held that card out there, but we didn't, we weren't playing it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we said, let's, let's see how this works. Um, so we, we did the sampling and we had some of the docs, particularly those with, um, family members that were working from home, kids that were on Xbox. I, I was, in, I, I upgraded my Fios, uh, you know, tri- trip, triple in, uh, in downstream speed, at least, uh, uh right. when, when this all hit, you know, as many people did. So, yeah. and, and we found a couple of things, it, it, you know, uh, just to draw a quick parallel, early days of, um, you know, the, the early days of, of cell phones uh, and that technology, you know, when you had the, the devices that used to carry and everything else in terms of what their compute power uh, mm-hmm. and everything else was, you know, th- th- there was, you needed a lot more uh, on the back end to, to support some of that stuff. With the improvements in, in technology, you know, what we found was, um, like most people, you know, people that had cell phones back in the day will say, right, that th- those were the high and mighty, right? You had a, right. you had a yeah. data plan and you had a voice plan. Let's face it. Nowadays, most of these docs, they had gigabit. Um, they, they were signed up for the, the, the preeminent uh, internet plan at their homes. Right. Because right. we're lucky here because everyone already had Netflix and HBO Max or whatever. And so the, the, the low, you know, you, you one, you had a, an impetus to have that kind of connection in the first place. And two, they, the, uh, you know, the ISPs had built out residential, uh, you know, networks that could accommodate this kind of traffic. So, yeah. yeah. So we kind of really leveraged that. Like we, we mm-hmm. weren't running into somebody that was running, you know, we, we didn't run into the AOL dial up scenario right. in terms of right. somebody saying that this is what I have. Most people out of the gate were coming to us yeah. with high speed mm-hmm. internet connectivity. And, and, you know, just to, to be frank about it, right. You're dealing with, you know, upper income, upper middle class kind of people who, you know, have, have this, you know, resource readily available already. Right? Yeah. So. Tend to live in residential areas that are, mm-hmm. you know, first up in terms of carriers building yeah. out their networks in those areas. So uh, be that as it may, you know, we did, we did leverage that. So we have yet to, to encounter someone who felt that they needed uh, to mm-hmm. install a secondary service just for this. Right. Um, can't say that it won't happen, but uh, sure. as of now, yeah. uh, everyone is kind of just uh, co-mingling mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. With, their, with their environment. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, you know, to wrap things up, I wanted to hit one more thing that we've discussed in the past. Uh, it is a topic that, that actually ends up coming up on the show a lot because it's an incredible pain point for a lot of, uh, of IT infrastructure, WAN manager types, and that's uh, M and A activity. So um, uh, you you brought up to me uh, when we talked last about uh, uh, this company Tower Health um, that was kind of failing, and Mainline Health came along, I think, and and, and bought Tower Health up, um, and you had to pull those sites in. Can you take us a little bit through that story, or if I got the details a little wrong, fix them? Sure. Right? Yeah, I will. Yeah, let, yeah, let me yeah. let me make a uh, let me make a proviso yeah. statement before yeah. uh, you know administration has <laughs> a. Uh, well, we we can always cut me saying that anyway. But so, right. yeah, we, yeah. yeah, Mainline. Yeah. Mainline did not uh, acquire Tower Health. What it was is that gotcha. Tower Health was a, um, a regional healthcare competitor in, in the healthcare mm-hmm. market who um, fell on hard times, had been on hard times for a number gotcha. of years, and eventually just couldn't find any suitors for the business, mm-hmm. which left mm-hmm. them no alternative other than to shutter their doors uh, at certain facilities and, and many times on short notice. And I, when mm-hmm. I talk short notice, 
I'm talking about 24 to 48 hours. Oh, of, wow. The ED will be closed as of right. this coming Friday, kind of. Which can be disruptive for the community, right? Which, so, yeah. which that was the concern, right? Mm-hmm. So what we were preparing for was when we heard that news, we looked at where Tower Health was, you know, where, where are these facilities relative to mainline health facilities? And we could almost expect that this was going to have an impact on the influx of patients that were now going to be coming to REDs, to ah, our offices. I see. Mm-hmm. And that's what we needed to make the accommodation for was, how are we I going see. to handle the additional foot traffic? How are mm-hmm. we going to staff up? You know, staffing is just, there's all of the non-technical things that go into uh, what the what the company needed to do during the pandemic, right? Just mm-hmm. getting people, retaining people. Um, you saw the stories on the news of healthcare employees being burned out. Uh, because it was just day in, day out, day after day, year after year, as it turns out. So we we just needed to make sure that we were in a position to handle the expansion and growth. We were were turning non-clinical areas within the hospital into clinical areas. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We were running tabletop what-if exercises. What if we need to turn half of the cafeteria into triage beds? Interesting. what, What does that look like? So mm-hmm. once again, we're, we're, we were then looking at, you know, expanding our network presence, just even within our own building, but to parts of the building that were never really originally intended right, uh, to house right. those services. Which I should say probably is, is not an experience foreign to any healthcare provider in the last two years, even leaving aside their na- next door neighbors shutting down or whatever, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, ca- capacity was already... Uh, in short supply to begin with. So, yeah, you know, working with some, uh, you know, we, we had also were talking with other, our peers within the industry. You know, I know that Virtua, uh, you know, at the outset of the pandemic, Virtua had opened up a, uh, um, like kind of a mass vaccination center, mm-hmm. uh, over in, in the South Jersey area. Uh, but you know, one, one advantage, if you want to call it that, that they had was, is that, um, they had an, they had an, a, a vacant location that was going to be turned into a long-term uh, site mm-hmm. uh, for testing and vaccination. So what they had on their side was they could then look to deliver services to that building that had some more permanency. They weren't right. going to just be there for a couple of days and then be out of there. Um, but uh, you know, for us, it was you know when we were doing the sites that we were doing, that was the thing. We were not looking at a lot of permanency for stuff that was happening mm-hmm. outside of our four walls, but we still had to deal with what was going on at our facilities, and that might mean relocating an administrative team to another part of the hospital because they happen to be one floor above or one floor below a clinical area mm-hmm. that we need to convert to COVID beds. Right. Right. Uh, that we need to convert to triage beds, that we need to convert to additional ICU beds. So uh, we, we had even entertained, uh, you know, dropping a, uh, a fully outfitted uh, trailer at one of our locations uh, that had everything that you needed to hook up, except you needed to extend all of your hookups to it. We didn't get to that point, uh, but mm-hmm. we were it was under it was on the table for consideration. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know sort sort of uh, to your point of of uh, um, picking up these additional things you, you already had you know this cradle point service and the and the, the Comcast versa kind of service set up that would accommodate uh, making these changes much more rapidly right so right yeah 
Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we could, yeah, that, that's, that was our going to be our go-to and will continue mm-hmm. to be our go-to until mm-hmm. the next greatest thing <laughs> comes yeah. along, I guess. Yeah. Excellent. Well, on that note, um, you know, uh, this has been a really interesting case study, especially uh, given the times and, and again, the, the changes in technology uh, really kind of fortuitously happened, you know, just in time for it to, to be applied to these new situations. What do you see as your next challenge or what's, what's your next big project uh, that's coming up here? Well, I think like many folks, I think uh, everyone is shying away from calling it the new normal as we are as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, we have our, what we're calling not our return to work because every, even, even the marketing that went into that, you know, the team saying, I don't think you want to call it return to work because everyone's been working really They've hard. Been working. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's yeah. not been not working. Yeah. Um, so we call it return to office, but mm-hmm. whatever, whatever you want to paint it to be, I think that the, the ongoing challenge will now be the fact that people have become accustomed to and organizations have now gotten a dose of mm-hmm. the fact that their business can operate normally and at times outperform what they were previously doing yeah. with a very diverse, dispersed workforce. Yeah, you're never putting that genie back in the bottle. It's impossible at this point. And and I think that becomes um, the next challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. And and also just having to keep in mind that uh, you know let's not lose the lessons learned during this pandemic. Uh, be, knowing that uh, we don't know what the future in that area is going to hold for healthcare Certainly. organizations. And I think that we, we have now learned how to be more agile in terms of delivering services. And that might be the new norm. I mean, certainly mm-hmm. um, there was, we had what I would call moderate adoption of our telehealth services. Mm-hmm. As you mm-hmm. can imagine, during the pandemic, that just went through the roof. Right. right. Um, and so things like my chart, uh, which is our, uh, our patient looking ability for a patient at one of our facilities through our Epic backend EMR to have visibility into their records. People now have that, they, they have easy access to their medical record. They have easy access to telehealth services. They can go to those telehealth services mm-hmm. wherever they want. They can be right. on the West Coast, East Coast, anywhere. If we're going to keep pace within the industry, we have to keep coming up with ways as to why we want to, why are we a provider of choice? Why are we mm-hmm. recommended mm-hmm. by friends and family and, you know, outside of the box services and staying ahead of things of this nature are one way to, you know, to keep that edge. Yeah. That, that's a really good point that, that uh, so much of this isn't just about, you know, reacting to exigencies or whatever, but it's about facilitating new ways of doing business. But you know, the, the the digital transformation as as a healthcare consumer, right, has been great. Like I I, I d- don't need to file through my filing cabinet and find what my cholesterol was ten years ago, right? <laughs> I, have, I have a portal, and so you know, just th- th- those kinds of things being facilitated by the IT infrastructure team, I think, and, and filtering up to decisions at management is is a really interesting place for the network, you know. It is. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, emerging technologies and I just think the, you know, ubiquity of uh, and of the wireless network becoming Mm -hmm. the wireless network is is quickly becoming what the wired network is and has been. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have to deliver 
Um, you know, we're being asked in many instances to, you know, look at our, our Wi-Fi infrastructure and deliver wired grade quality, if right. you will, right. uh, to those types of services. We have uh, a lot of uh, mobile services that people are looking to do at the hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I noticed, I had to, we, we all pitched in uh, across the organization. I had the opportunity early on. We were all asked to help out with doing screening. What screening meant was, is that at the onset of the pandemic, if you had to take a nurse to stand at the front of the hospital in order to read a, uh, a, a thermal thermometer that was taking people's temperatures as they came into the hospital mm-hmm. and ask them the 10 questions that we were asking at the time, right. you're taking somebody who's trained to treat patients off of a floor. So we were asked as, right. uh, as part of the organization to pitch in. So mm-hmm. as a screener, you know, that's what I, I had the opportunity to get out in the field at our facilities. I was either greeting people at the door, taking their temperature, or I was one of the people that they was passed along to. So when you came in, you know, Greg, how you doing? Um, why are you here today? Right. How are you feeling? Have you had any of these symptoms? Yeah. And then the, the, the last thing was, where do you need to go? Mm-hmm. And you might mm-hmm. say, well, I'm seeing Dr. So-and-so in suite 354. Right. Well, I don't know all of our facilities inside now. Right. So I was, I was also heavily relying on someone who worked at the hospital who might be paired with me mm-hmm. or the ladies at the front desk that were, uh, that, that were used to people coming in needing to be directed. Right. Rounding this out, what I'm saying is that wayfinding is one of the things that we've been discussing is wouldn't it have been great for people to be able to come into our hospital and basically just hit the link Log and in. say, yeah. here, mm-hmm. here you are. Right. And here's where you need to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and basically through uh, wayfinding technology, be able to yeah. just have that person follow their device mm-hmm. uh, and you will get to where you need to be. So yeah, I, I love hearing about that because you, you, from the uh, abstract kind of market analyst seat, you're hearing, oh, okay, we're going to facilitate digital transformation. Well, it's, it's much more interesting, I think, to hear well, what is a, what does digital transformation mean for me as a consumer, right? And how is that going to change over the next few years? And every time I hear things like that, it, it's actually quite a, it's, it's, pretty amazing. It's more than you think even, right? You know, um, you know, especially uh, some of these, you know, kind of consumer tools become, you know, made into business grade tools in places that you you wouldn't necessarily expect um, that, uh, that, that, that becomes, uh, oh, okay, the world's going to work more the way that, uh, that, that I thought that it could, but it's just, you know, companies have to take some time sometimes to, to get uh, the, the infrastructure ready to, to do those really cool things that, that uh, we might sort of take for granted on our smartphones in other contexts, right? So, right. yeah. 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 So that's, excellent. That's what's next? Yeah. That sounds really fun. Oh, we should catch up about that sometime. So, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, Carl, this has been great. Um, uh, thanks so much uh, for, for doing this. And um, if folks listening, you know, sort of wanted to reach out and ask you any questions, is there some way they can get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Um, you can uh, you can certainly uh, reach me via my LinkedIn profile is, mm, is one perfect. way to do so. Yeah. You can you yeah. can hit me there. That would probably be the best and, and yeah. most uh, common for most folks. Yeah, I, I, I talk about this with our marketing manager all the time. I'm not on Twitter and I'm, I'm going to try to avoid being on Twitter. So I'm like, I'm on LinkedIn. Find me there. It's good enough. You know? so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hear you. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks so much. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. Had a lot of fun. 
Thanks for listening. The Wind Manager podcast comes from the team at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. I also wrote the theme song that you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com. Or if you want to get right into more WAN content like you hear on the show, you can visit Telegeography's WAN Forum at WANforum.com. We've got all of our podcast episodes over there, WAN Manager survey data, and extra analysis pieces. That's all for now. So until next time, WAN enthusiasts.